a woman is sitting, smiling, watching as her only child, a daughter, is preparing to say the final words that will make her, all at once, a married woman. This mother has been fighting off overwhelming tears of joy. She is sitting in the first row, next to her own sister and her brother-in-law. Her nieces and nephews are all lined up off of them. Her daughter and her soon-to-be son-in-law, what a wonderful young man he is, are just about to speak those sealing vows and consecrate their union for all time. Her daughter casts a quick glance in her direction. The mother, in spite of herself, begins crying again. Now, let's imagine you were there. Let's say at the after party following afterward, and you got to talking with this overwhelmed mother standing next to the proverbial punch bowl. She is a pleasant-looking middle-aged woman. She has been hard at work her whole life, especially since her husband died. She wears her years fully, yet gracefully. She is laughing, watching as a group of people are spinning around on the dance floor. You ask, So what was it you were thinking of? She looks at you wonderingly. What do you mean? During the ceremony, you say. It was quite clear it was a powerful experience for you. The mother considers the ways she may answer your question. She could simply say, well, I was overjoyed with my daughter's joy, which would be true. Or she could give you some sort of half-hearted, half-straightforward explanation. After all, you don't know this woman. How did you get into this wedding, by the way? But fortunately for you, she doesn't say any of those things. Instead, she pours herself another cup of the punch, another for you as well, and beckons you over toward a pair of chairs far away from the dance floor. You are both shrouded in shadow as you sit at the edge of the party. She takes a sip of her punch and then leans forward toward you. Would you like to hear the whole story, she asks. This is, of course, why you ask. You nod, yes. She grows deeply quiet before she speaks again thoughtfully. It was almost exactly ten years ago. I remember because it was right around my daughter's eighth birthday. And the rumors of the teacher, Jesus, were swirling around everywhere even up this far north, away from the Galilee. And my daughter, around that time, was terribly sick, not at all herself, constantly convulsing and screaming and slashing at herself. She was a danger to herself and others, too. Then I heard the rumor that he was coming up this way. Yes, I'd heard that he'd got up suddenly from the place where he'd been staying and ministering and left that place and came up here to the neighborhood of Tyre. This was immediately after the rumors had already come our way, carried this way by the lips of those who tasted the bread of miraculous production of heavenly food. Five loaves and two fishes. You've heard this? And then they told the tale, the crowds again, that apparently his disciples had shoved off in the night and that later on he himself had walked the waters. He had gone out to them upon the top of the moonlit sea. This is a remarkable sort of thing to hear about, is it not? Anyhow, 
When he arrived to our region, he went into a house nearby here, down near the sea. And apparently, wanted no one to know where he was. But what did he expect? It proved impossible to remain hidden. Impossible for such a power to visit a place and not be sought out. All the rumors began to spread from here to Sidon. One of my neighbors happened to bring it to me. And no sooner had he got here than I, who had heard all these stories about him and who feared for my daughter, who was possessed, I thought, by an evil spirit, arrived to him and I prostrated myself before him. It was rather awkward. He was sitting in the home of a well-to-do man down on Front Street. He was having his lunch, surrounded by all his followers and disciples. And then in I walked, crying along every step uh, from my home there. Now, as you may know, I am a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And yet, even still, I asked him to drive the evil spirit out of my daughter. The teacher was quiet, continuing to eat his lunch. I thought perhaps he hadn't heard me, so I asked again. Then he gave me a a side-eye sort of glance. He said, You must let the children have all they want first. It is not right, you know, to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Of course, I was rather taken aback at this. Wouldn't anyone be? I mean, being compared to a dog? Yet... There was something in the way he watched my face, something in his aspect that told me, he's testing you right now. He wants to see how far you'll carry the thing. If you'll believe in his goodness, even if that goodness should feel somewhat difficult. So I replied, yes, Lord, I know. But even the dogs under the table eat what the children leave. It felt to me that I would happily meet his test if it meant that he would know my faith and heal my little girl. Well, his eyes lit up and he rose up from the stool he sat on. If you can answer like that, he said to me, you can go home. The evil spirit has left your daughter. And immediately I went back home, ran home, let's be honest and found my child lying quietly on her bed, and the evil spirit gone. The mother is quiet for a moment, watching all the guests circling around the dance floor, circling around her daughter, dancing at their center. She glances back over at you, smiles happily. And all that, she says, was ten years ago now. Now, let's imagine, since we're already in the middle of imagining a scene like that one, that we've now walked our way all the way back southward toward the Galilee. We have, in fact, come to the northern shore of the sea near where the 5,000 were fed and then turned left down toward the eastern side of the waters. The edge of the shore rises and rises up until we're high on the edge of a seatop bluff, listening to the whistle of the wind off its edge. And up ahead, you see a solitary figure. He is slowly walking and seems to be talking to himself. Quietly, a little stealthily, you approach the man. 
You listen to the words that he whispers. A wind sloughing dew from the leaves of the trees, the jangle of riggings against the masts, the hollow dead breeze through the autumn dead leaves, a nighttime gust and the sound of its pass, the wind popping flags on the morn of a sail, the smooth rocks tossing underneath stream flow, the clattering slide of a ridge berthed in shale, the troughing drop of a gale-tossed hull, the peeling of waves round a long rocky spit, the tension of net when the catch it is good, the whistling hush of a breeze through wheat, the boat crews calling in the foggy distance. The wild, raucous laughter of the oldest friends, the crackle of fire against dark night, the bleating of the flocks in the middle distance, the sound of a child's voice both near and... The man stops. He has seen you. He wonders why you are standing on this bluff top, spying upon his poetry. Naturally, you ask him what he's doing. He smiles. That, he says, I'm a poet. I walk these hills and compose my lines. Well, you've never met a wandering poet before. You ask the story of how he began this particular vocation. Well, he says, it began about a decade ago. Until that time and day, I had never heard, never spoken. And I mean that literally. I was what they call in our day a deaf-mute I was an object of great sadness to many of my people. Until the teacher came. You see, Jesus, the teacher, left the neighborhood of Tyre and passed through Sidon toward the Lake of Galilee and apparently planned to cross the Ten Towns territory. Word of his coming spread through all of those towns, including mine. Though, of course, let's be honest, I didn't hear a word of it. Till on a particular day, I was suddenly grabbed by my friends, uh, dressed in the finest of what I would call ragged cloaks, and hustled up to where he'd be passing through. And so they brought me, who was totally deaf and unable to speak intelligibly, and they, right there in my line of sight, implored him to put his hand upon me. I didn't know what to make of the whole situation, their gesticulations. So Jesus, the, the teacher as I call him, took me away from the crowd by myself. Look over yonder. See? See that tamarisk tree in full flower? We stood under that tree, with the sea winds blowing briskly up the face of the cliff, up through these grasses, and he stood me, like this, face to face. Then, and this was quite surprising, he put his fingers in my ears and touched my tongue with his own saliva. The whole thing was quite unexpected. But I loved the way his eyes looked at me. Then, looking up to heaven, the teacher gave a deep sigh. I watched his shoulders rise and fall and said, he later explained to me in Aramaic, Open! Just like that. From the moment I saw the moving of his lips, uh, the laughter in his eyes, my 
ears were open. And immediately, whatever had tied my tongue came loose, just like that. And suddenly, I spoke quite plainly. I could hear, and strangely, too, I could speak. And even far more strange, I found that I could speak well. And you know what I heard first? The faintest sound as the grasses blew at the wind. The yaw, yaw of the gulls hanging over the heights. The, the whistling of the shepherds in the fields past the village. The argued price pointing in the market square at Hippos. The laughter of the children in yonder schoolyard. The jingle of riggings against the mast of a sailboat down below there. The murmurs of wonder in this small crowd that was watching from behind. And the sound, of course, of the teacher's voice. The way I could now watch the movement of his smiling lips, hear the way those lips were working, listen to the way he asked this question smiling. So how does it all sound to you? And then, you see, he, he gave instructions that everyone in the crowd should tell no one about this happening. <laughs> but the more he told them that, the more they broadcast the news. People everywhere were absolutely amazed about my case and kept saying how wonderfully he has done everything. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. The poet begins to walk off again, off on his own. And don't forget, he says to you, he makes poets too. <laughs>